Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific shares are trading mixed this morning as investors assess a host of economic data and the latest corporate earnings. Tokyo is up a quarter percent, Seoul and Sydney both in the red. This follows a night of selling in the U.S. Joining me as we take a closer look at what is behind all the market action is Sunny Hamid, Director for Wealth Management at Financial Alliance. Sunny, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me again. Today, investors have a lot on their plates to assess, Sunny, starting with the latest price data from the US and China. In both cases, we see prices are rising at their fastest pace since the 1990s. In the US, the focus is on inflation at the retail level. The CPI in the US jumped more than 6% in October as compared with a year ago. In China, the focus is on companies and producers. So China's producer price index jumping more than 13%. I want to start with the US. Prices for energy, shelter, food and vehicles have risen the most and it appears that inflation is spreading beyond sectors associated with the economy's reopening. What is your take on this? I think it, it, it was something which was in the pipeline, given what we saw, uh, what we've seen in the past couple of months in terms of both labour shortage, in terms of energy shortage uh, and the reopening. And you put everything together, this is a bit of a kind of like a little perfect storm for, for inflation. So it was in the pipeline and finally has come out um, into the open. Um, some economists were expecting a spike up sooner or later. Has, it has happened. And I think a big question now is whether it remains transitory uh, or it stays for a lot longer than what the Federal Reserve expects. I think that's the key thing now, whether it will start to taper off over a couple of months or uh, we're going to see a more permanent structural uh, uh, stay for inflation. Right, so perhaps more volatility when it comes to inflation ahead. We also have news that jobless claims in the US have dropped to their lowest level since the pandemic began some 20 months ago. 267,000 Americans applied for unemployment benefits last week. Sunny, with prices rising and jobless claims falling, does this put pressure on the Fed to raise interest rates sooner than expected? In fact, the, the, the market itself after last night's um, jump in, in, in the CPI has uh, uh, brought forward its expectation for, for inflation. The majority had expected maybe in 2023, mm-hmm. early 2023, but now I think um, everybody's pending in, uh, uh, an expectation for maybe the second half of 2022. Um, so there, yes, there is an increased expectation that the Federal Reserve may have to act a bit earlier than, than, than originally expected. So that's being priced in at this point. If we look at the futures market for Fed funds, traders now expect the U.S. Federal Reserve to raise rates as early as July next year. Mm. Uh, some observers would argue that previous U.S. Federal Reserves would have already started rising rates to rein in inflation and that Jerome Powell has waited too long. What do you think, Sunny? Are you worried that rising prices will undercut the U.S. economy's gains? Um, it, it, it's, it's a tricky situation for the current Federal Reserve. I don't think there was there has been any um, um, scenario in the past um, to to actually benchmark this current Federal Reserve situation. Um, so therefore, I, I would defer on whether they are lagging behind or not. It's, it's, it's difficult from from that perspective um, because you know it a 
total shutdown of the economy mm-hmm. and now a total reopening, a reopening of the economy. So you have a situation where output almost goes to zero and now output almost goes to 100 in a very short period of time. And so the demand is very, very strong. As you correctly mentioned, it's resulting in a massive a shortage of labor in the U.S. Companies are scrambling to find people. I um, mean, in the U.K., we saw even truck drivers were in shortage, causing uh, uh, petrol stations to run out of, of gasoline. Um, so that in itself makes the Federal Reserve's uh, position very tricky because it has to weigh. If I because when you move on 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 monetary policy, it's a bit more permanent. And if you make a wrong step and you move and and yet you find out that inflation was just really transitory, mm-hmm. um, and it means you probably have moved prematurely. And so, so I would say that basically it, it puts the Federal Reserve in a difficult position. And in these situations, they tend to err on the side of caution um, to to let things. Die, die down first or the, the dust to settle first before they move. So I think they will hold back any move until they're really, really, really sure that, for example, inflation is a bit more uh, permanent than, than what they think. Mm. I want to shift gears a little. We'll take a look at how markets are reacting to this latest price data and what it may mean for investment strategies going forward in just a moment. But first, I want to turn to China, where a power crunch and rising coal prices are pushing prices for other goods higher. China's producer price index is rising faster than expected. It jumped more than 13% in October. Sunny, this rate certainly can't be good for China's economy, can it? Isn't the First, this isn't the first month that prices are rising at double-digit pace. So do you think policymakers in Beijing are concerned? It's, a, again, I think similarly to, to, to the fact they're in a, quite a tricky situation and difficult situation, um, policymakers decided early this year um, in terms of policy that they wanted, <coughs> excuse me, that they wanted to actually uh, rein in on credit growth, that they wanted to actually prevent runaway prices in the property sector um, and other and the stock market in certain sectors, in the mm. tech sectors and such, all of which is counterproductive from the perspective of promoting growth. When you rein in credit, people can't spend, there's no loans and such. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so all of this basically now comes in the face of high inflation, which equals to stagflation, which is a word we'll probably hear a lot in different countries, including China. So this is now the the, the situation. Many central banks, many um, 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 ministry, minister, sorry, many econom- economists will face, which is what do they do? Do they raise interest rates because of high inflation? But what happens to growth? Because growth looks to be tapering off. So China is in that situation. I think um, policymakers will have to decide. Um, uh, but China has a little bit more more leeway, in my view, compared to the to, to market-driven economies because it is also a controlled economy. Um, the only problem is if there is a policy mistake, uh, it may come back to bite uh, the Chinese authorities quite badly from uh, from behind. So I think that's 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 the key thing now. So tricky situation for all, and I think um, on a case-to-case basis, on a country-to-country basis, it will be taken maybe slightly differently. Just picking up on what you're saying about China, so then could um, low economic growth and relatively high unemployment if stagflation does pan out, how um, how are you seeing this impacting your view of China stocks, given the latest figures? So, uh, so it's that and it's a few other things that are ha- happening in China which um, actually tilts it slightly more to the negative side. Um, one of them, for example, is China's extremely severe zero COVID strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen it um, in terms of uh, hard shutdowns. Even I think Disneyland recently was 
closed up totally because there were fears of of, of, of a case. So this in itself again it it, it hits it hits growth, um, and we have a situation now with with the Chinese bond market, you know, which is on shaky ground. Um, um, the high yield bonds have lost quite a substantial amount. So again, there are some cracks in the financial side. So all in all, compared to what we we mentioned earlier in the earlier question, I think it's a bit tilted in my view more to the to the downside or at least uh, in a consolidation mode rather than any uh, uh, any upside. The latest inflation numbers prompted a sell-off on Wall Street overnight. The tech-heavy Nasdaq dropped 1.7%. The Dow and the S&P 500 finished lower as well, although the losses were not quite as big. The bond market also got slammed, leading the yield on the two-year U.S. Treasury note to jump 10 basis points to more than half percent. That's a pretty big move in one day for the bond markets. Sunny, are rising prices leading you to reassess your investment strategies at all? Well, we, we have been worried about the bond market for quite some time given I think naturally when you normalize rates increase and have an increasing from such a low base um, um, uh, we all know that bond markets have a negative or rather uh, uh, invert, inverse correlation with, with interest rates uh, interest rates go up bond prices come down so we've been adding a bit of like um, uh, uh, natural hedges like a commodity go into our, our clients portfolio to hedge against that okay, so. but now um there is something going on in the bond market which we are trying to put our finger on, <clears throat> which is uh, we've seen over the past two two weeks uh, large volumes or large volatility um, in bond markets like in Australia, mm. in Canada, um, and in China and certain European um, bond markets. Um, it's all part of that normalization where rates in these individual countries are expected to go up, inflation is going up, so therefore people expect rates to go up. The big question on everybody's mind, including ourselves, is is this the start of that big reset? The reset being because a lot of money has have, has poured into bond the bond markets ever since not only uh, 2020, but since 2008. Um, we have about 30, 30% of global bonds which are, are, are issued in negative territory or negative use. Mm. And when you have such low-yielding bonds, it just takes a very small amount of increase in interest rates in order to slam down these bonds by 10, 15, 20, 30%, especially if you're, you're holding very long-term bonds. So that's the thing now. Hmm. I, 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 have we reached that point where we're going to have this big bond reset? Hmm. Or is this just one of the hiccups along the way because we're having this normalization? So we're on a lookout for what we call evidence of any systemic risk. Uh, um, we haven't seen yet that yet. Uh, but again, you know, some, sometimes these things you only get to see with hindsight. Mm. So we're very careful now to, 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 to look at it and, and ask, keep on asking ourselves, um, we have to be careful. Uh, this may be it, but, but let's keep a hawk eye on it. Okay, and speaking of gold and hedging, we're seeing gold and Bitcoin prices rise. Bitcoin hit a new record, 68,000 US dollars a token before coming off a bit. Gold has logged its highest price since June, trading now about 1,850 US dollars an ounce. So in the current market, Sunny, what do you think are the best hedges against rising prices? So, so you correctly mentioned um, gold, uh, commodities, um, and Bitcoin is taking some of that uh, uh, role in terms of being a hedge. But I do have to kind of cautious, caution um, investors, um, you know, because historically what has happened is the initial rise in these uh, inflation hedges uh, because of, let's say, a spike in inflation, uh, it works. Uh, but over time, if the, the if 
interest rates continue to go up and bond price and bonds continue to come down, what we've seen before is an investor's total portfolio starts to decline, <clears throat> despite the fact you have hedges. Meaning to say that you, this group of hedges should, by right, offset the losses of your bonds and even equities. But what we've seen is because um, um, investors treat their portfolios as one, they sometimes start to sell off their gold and maybe even Bitcoin to cover losses on their bond side and on their equity side. So at the end of the day, it's a hedge. It's doing what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But because things are seen as a total portfolio rather than individual components, um, you could see both gold and, 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 and Bitcoin come down if uh, losses continue to mount on the bond and even equity side. Sort of affected by the ripple effect then. Yes, exactly. Up till yesterday, the U.S. markets were steadily climbing higher, setting new records nearly every day. We've seen, just seen two straight days of losses though. And while two is not a trend, I'm wondering, do you think markets may have peaked? That's a good question. I think that's, again, um, the, the reset question now applied to the equity side. Um, we've seen, as you mentioned, uh, markets creeping higher and higher and higher. Um, right now, it, nothing suggests to us that this is a U-turn, meaning to say the top of the, uh, the overall cycle, the top of the overall uh, move up. Uh, we still think it's a consolidation. Um, um, technically speaking, also, it's, it's, an, it's a healthy one after the markets have moved up quite substantially. Um, until we see something to suggest to us. Um, and the tricky part is the, this thing that we're looking for may not emanate from the equity markets. So, for example, it may emanate from the bond markets. And then later on, it may spill over to the equity. So that's the thing we have to look out for because if you remember in 2008, it was almost similar. The bond market started to, to crack up first and, and, and freeze up first. And it was only six months later that the equity market made a U-turn because it started to emerge there. Right. So this is this is the situation now where I think uh, everybody is looking very closely. Mm. Nothing at this point suggests that uh, the bubble has burst. Uh, but like I said, because things can only be confirmed with hindsight, we really look at it closely to, to, to monitor the situation. He's Sunny Hamid, Director for Wealth Management at Financial Alliance. Now, Sunny, another major topic making headlines this week is COP26, the global climate negotiations taking place over in Glasgow. They wrap up tomorrow. The US and China have issued a joint announcement saying they will do more to cut emissions. And the working draft of the COP26 agreement calls for countries to stop subsidizing oil and gas to put a faster end to the use of coal. So from what we're seeing, Sunny, would any of this news lead you to invest more in alternative energy companies or maybe to sell off the traditional brown ones? Or are the proposed changes too far down the line? Um, we, we have actually outlined several teams which we feel will be, even prior to this, will be uh, major drivers of investment over the next few decades. Um, this includes uh, digitization of the economy, blockchain, and another one is basically the decarbonization of the economy and also um, climate change. Um, you can't run away from the fact, and COP26 tells us that now governments are getting a little bit more serious. Mm. Although I would like, I, I would like to see um, words being put into action before I, I, I celebrate. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it does uh, suggest that, uh, and then one of the theses behind this this multi-decade team is because we have both government and private sector being involved in in this particular team. And I'm especially happy to see that the private sector, even before COP26 
has been very actively uh, uh, involved in this. Many pension funds, many uh, uh, large institutions have already publicly said we are divesting away from fossil fuel and any other companies which are involved in creating carbon emission and climate change and so on. And now this is the time where governments come in uh, and governments sometimes tend to lack the, the will to do so uh, when, when times are tough. Um, so um, I, I'm, I really hope that they keep to, to, to whatever promise they've made um, to, to go carbon neutral in the US by I think 2050, China by 2060, um, because we really don't have that much time. It may sound like it's 30 years, but if nothing is done now, you can't start when it's 2040, 2050. It's too late. You need to start now. You need to, to really press, put your feet on the, on, on the accelerator at this point with regards to, to such. It does bring a lot and a lot and a lot of opportunities because we're talking about a total overhaul of the global economy to be net zero or carbon neutral zero. So you're talking about changing not only cars from fossil fuel combustion engine to to, to EV electric vehicles. You're talking about solarizing almost everything that's possible, and so on and so forth. So it's a huge opportunity. We can use your phrase, the great reset needed here as well. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you coined a good one today, Sunny. In corporate news, the Walt Disney Company has returned to profitability. It earned nearly $160 million US million in the last quarter, better than the $700 million loss uh, it reported in the quarter before that. Still, the results are coming in below expectations, and they indicate the growth of its streaming media service, Disney Plus, is slowing. Sunny, U.S. earnings season nearly behind us. Uh, One headline the Financial Times says is that U.S. companies have charmed investors with their third quarter earnings. So what about you, Sunny? Are you feeling charmed by the results? (laughs) Um, I guess it depends on the companies itself. Uh, When you look underneath the hood, um, um, those companies, we are seeing actually quite a a sharp distinction um, and differentiation between the pandemic stay-at-home uh, 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 stocks and those that are the opening normalization. I'll give you an example. Like, uh, Expedia, which I think does the uh, travel related uh, online stuff, mm-hmm. um, they reached an all time high recently. Uh, at the same time, uh, uh, Peloton, which I think it is the bicycle uh, exercise equipment, uh, which did very well um, uh, during the pandemic, they reached a uh, 52 week low. So there is this this switching from from stay home uh, pandemic uh, related stocks over to what we call the reopening stocks. So I think that that in itself right. is, is is one thing that we're seeing. Uh, but at the same time, um, everything depends on how the U.S. economy does um, going forward. And then we would start to focus on which company has what we call inelastic pricing, as inflation is being prices are being transferred over to the consumer. Mm. Uh, if if your pricing power is very strong then the consumer has very little choice but to continue using your products. But if it's not, then you would find yourself with lower revenues because people switch to lower substitutes as prices rise. All right. I want to switch now to a completely different market altogether, India. The IPO market there is hot. A woman named Falguni Naya has joined the ranks of the world's richest yesterday. Her company, Nika, went public. Shares of the beauty company nearly doubled in their first day of trade. Another high-profile listing is that of digital payments platform Paytm. That's in progress. And the veteran investor Mark Mobius thinks that India is set for a 50-year rally and he's investing half of his emerging market funds in India. Sunny, what do you think? Are you with Mobius? Is now a good time to look at Indian stocks? 
I, well, I, let's let's put it this way: the way I see it, basically, is a rebalancing or reshuffling of of allocations. The fact that Mark Mobius has put fifty percent um, of 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 his funds in Indian stocks could suggest that fund managers, by and large, um, because of and this relates to China, because of the China story, right. you'll find that fund managers have either a very distinct. Uh, cup half empty or cup half full. If you're cup half full, they're still in China, they see this as an opportunity, any dips they're they are willing to buy. Mm. But there is this very distinct group which is looking at China and saying, this is a structural change. I no longer want to be in this market because I don't think it's it's working from a capitalist, uh, free market kind of situation. Uh, it's going to impede growth, it's going to impede profitability. So I'm out. So these guys who come out of China because they don't believe in China anymore, they have to put their money somewhere. And naturally speaking, if it's Asia exposure and looking at India, which is doing well, um, you'll probably see a Mark Mobius type of, of, of uh, over, over overweight on, on a particular country. Uh, and that's what's happened. Because you don't typically see fund managers put, or even hedge fund managers put 50% of portfolios uh, of their portfolio in a single country itself. But it could, like I say, be tied to the fact that you know I don't have China to invest in. So, so for now, uh, India looks the best bet. That is a big move. Sonny, thank you for helping us understand markets this morning. Thank you for having me. He's Sunny Hamid, Director for Wealth Management at Financial Alliance here on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.